This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 492, for January 27th, 2016. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast, everybody. I am Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld, and joining me, as she is almost every week, is Susie <laughs> Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, I'm back. I appreciated your pictures of sheeting rain from Florida, even while it was pouring. It was pouring here, and it was sheeting there. Yeah, I hadn't seen rain that crazy in a while, because it's been raining here, which we're very grateful for, but California rain's pretty wimpy. It's just like misty, and you get wet, <laughs> but you don't like notice you're getting wet. You're just outside, and it's kind of you know dripping a little bit, and then like 10 minutes later, you're soaking wet. But well, the, this yeah. was like that. It's come. It was coming down so hard. I, like my mom was driving. Obviously, I was taking a video, but I almost asked her to pull over. Like I was so scared. It was yeah. It looked like just like solid water without any break between yeah. the drops. It's uh, I don't know how nature gross. does that. We were on the interstate, and I was just like, oh my gosh. Well, also joining us this week from another corner of the country, we have, uh, well, actually, sorry, the same side of the country, but a different corner, is Rich Mogul of Securosis. Hello, Rich. Hey, Glenn. How are you? Good. Uh, I'll introduce you to listeners who may not know your name, although they would have seen you in Macworld and Tidbits and on your own site and in podcasts and in reports about security flaws. And so Rich is a security researcher. He's a world traveler, and he's the person on whose team I would most like to be if we were in a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> now, I don't know if he'd have me, but I want to be in his team. No, no. I, I found that, Glenn, you are, um, you are an excellent source of protein, so that's I have right. no issues with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slower moving. Remember, that's the thing is, I don't have to run faster than the bear. I only have to run faster than you. That's yeah. the operating philosophy. Uh, so we've got Rich on this week to talk about uh, privacy and security issues, um, because uh, last week, uh, when I was talking to Leo, it came up, her sister is off to Beijing, and um, it prompted the thought, especially with all the talk about security and uh, post-Snowden age, government agencies, foreign governments, um, the integrity of of uh, encryption from backdoors that are built by plan, uh, you know, that, hey, maybe we should get somebody on who knows this stuff in some greater depth than we do. Um, we're going to start out this week with a different security story, more of a not exactly a malware story. Hey, Susie, did you get anybody send you that link? Does people, are people no, like you well enough not to do that? <laughs> I didn't. And I mean, I love pranks and, and trolling and stuff, so I'm surprised that I didn't, but but I'm also kind of glad I didn't because that sounds annoying. It's Yeah, it's like a, it's a Safari crashing link, and you just literally, if you go to the URL, it starts what, lo I think it, it uh, overloads your history or something like that. It just starts pouring entries in. And uh, eventually it'll crash. I don't know what happens when you reboot. I think it loses that. It's uh, just crashsafari.com, right? Yes, that's right. So what people are doing is they're shortening <laughs> that link and then they're tweeting it to people. And they're like, look, I got Kanye's new album. And they tweet this like shortened Ooh. link. And since you can't really tell what shortened links are, people click it and it crashes Safari. And if you do it on an iPhone, it crashes your whole phone. This has been my problem Mac, with shortened links all along. I always thought shortened links were a terrible, like we don't need them anymore, actually. There's no reason for them. And Twitter represents them. It shows you a link, but it's it doesn't even, it represents links separately internally now. It only uses its t.co links for tracking purposes. So we don't need tracking links even. But, uh, you know, the thing that, uh, this is a slightly related issue is uh, Safari on Mac does not open the t.co Twitter links correctly. Mm. I started seeing this as a problem because I switched to Safari when I got gigabit 
broadband, gigabit broadband, gigabit broadband. And uh, sorry, Cece. That's five minutes in. <laughs> I, I, I would feel jealous, Quinn, if, if, if I didn't have gigabit Ethernet myself. You'd be you angry. You had it too? Yeah. It, oh, it, it's, it's pretty good. I, <laughs> I, I get by. I've that's heard good things. So, yeah. Rich is <laughs> Arizona. very enthusiastic about it. <laughs> so Rich, do you have CenturyLink? I'm just trying to be nice to everybody else. No, CenturyLink's horrible here. Uh, we do have it. Uh, mine is on Cox. Oh, uh, good. That's great. Mine's yeah. a little better. I don't know. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> I have Comcast, is... and they're amazing. I was making fun of them on Twitter the other day, and they were like, do you have a problem we can help you with? And I'm like, no, Comcast. <laughs> you can go away and die. <laughs> Comcast would help is my just problem. the clippy of Twitter. Is what yes. It's like, I see you're having a problem with Comcast. I see you hate Comcast. Can I, <laughs> I assist like, you? <laughs> yeah, I, I helped myself with that. I got off of Comcast. Comcast <laughs> will be bringing, as we've discussed, they're, um, they're working rapidly to bring uh, one and two gigabits per second service all over the place at prices that are still probably going to be ridic- or ridiculous. I, I'm waiting to see what's going to happen here because uh, – I'm paying 140 something a month for a phone line plus gig, and Comcast. If they were coming with the price and they were talking about it, it was substantially higher for one gig. And how do you how do you do that in a competitive market? But CenturyLink can't serve every neighborhood in Seattle. It's doing very limited rollouts uh, in all the areas they're doing it. But uh, in any case, I switched to Safari because I felt like Safari was a better browser, and. Uh, I'm starting to have these trouble with these Twitter links. You click, and I'm using Tweetbot. You click, it it opens a t.co link in your browser and then just redirects. And I'm seeing these timeouts and the page can't load. You reload and finally it comes up. I search on, uh, you know, on Google, like, all right, has this a common problem? Was this introduced in El Capitan? Problem goes back four years and you can find people talking about it all over the place. I don't think it affects everybody and nobody has been able to figure out why. Apple clearly hasn't fixed it if it's a problem on its end. And if it's an issue with Twitter, they haven't done anything either. So it's a well-known, well-characterized problem that people having exactly the same experience and you find threads that are literally starting four years ago with posts last week with the same thing. So if oh, anyone weird. has ideas about this. This is not affecting me. Like I, I have no I do this issue all day with long. those links. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that weird? So there's some, I suspect there is some DNS resolution Thing, so that's people on certain networks with certain DNS resolvers. But uh, I've seen this posted on Stack Overflow and some other technical forums and where people would actually go in and dive into the network layer there and no one has an answer. So listeners, if you know why t.co Twitter links don't redirect correctly in Safari for a subset of people, you can make a lot of people very happy by... Maybe your internet's just not slow enough. That's right. So fast. You know what's funny? It might be. No, no. Rich is too. Yeah, uh, I've got it. But all my data, I think all of my my traffic's filtered through the NSA. So maybe they scrub that for me. <laughs> that's right. They help yeah. you out. This is the, the advantage of that, which we'll, we'll be getting to in a moment. So uh, yeah, so friends, uh, so, so if you hear about t.co, let us know. Don't send people to Crash Safari. I know it's an attractive sounding domain name. You know, everybody wants to go to CrashSafari.com, but let's uh, let's keep our friends safe. Uh, <laughs> The another thing I wanted to bring up, just uh, this is uh, we talk about this um, January being a slow news month, which it is for the Apple world. Lots of incremental things. Uh, you know, there's things like default folder five is out. There's a review up by yours truly at MacWorld, and uh, I love the revision. It's fully El Capitan uh, happy, so it works with system integrity protection and will work under Yosemite as well. And um, I didn't put this in the show notes, but hey, so get this: the developer is getting harassed by some people. Because his $50 product that he has not charged an upgrade fee for eight years. So if you bought it eight years ago, you did not have to pay until this latest release where he's charging 
if you upgraded uh, before June 1st, 2015. And people are apparently giving them piles of crap for this. And, uh, and folks wonder why software developers give up. <laughs> yeah, that's not cool. If I mean, people can charge what they want to charge for something. And if you don't want to buy it, like, don't buy it. You know, like, no one's protesting outside of, you know, Armani's house because the shirts are too expensive. Like, you just, you know, you go to Old Navy and you buy a shirt that's more in your price range. So if you don't, like, default folder is awesome, but it's also, you know, not really needed for <laughs> yeah. you know, it makes it makes life a lot easier and better but you'll get along just fine without it like it's not you know food or water it's yeah software. i've actually started buying in some cases software i don't use because i like those developers and want to support yeah them. i've done that too especially yeah, independent this developer developers. deserves the support yeah and there's things like i sent uh, the guy behind it john uh, Gatow, um uh, when i was doing the beta or the testing of it it was release version and uh i said you know i'm having this problem he said oh i can't replicate it so i made a copy to made a little movie showed him what was going on he's like oh i found the condition i see what happened i've fixed it here's a new beta boom it's done you're like small developers gotta yeah. love them you know that's awesome so the fact that you just told me that glenn i'm thinking i'm gonna go buy default folder even though i uh <laughs> i, know I you're previously looked buy at it, it. i didn't really you use it buy it but it's, now you're making me want to buy it. i swear it saved me i want to say i don't think it's an exaggeration to say hundreds of hours because it's all those tiny friction encounters where you're in an open or saved dialogue and you're just you're doing the apple thing to mess around to get to where you know you want to be default folder just takes you there or it's a couple you know it's a click or a, a keyboard shortcut and you're right where you want to be and so every time you save five to 15 seconds in that and the frustration you know add that up over several years of using it and um, it's like text expander but for dialogues mm -hmm. same kind of utility um no, the thing i actually was going to talk about i'm sorry i got distracted because it's a slow news week but uh uh, music memo. Um, Susie, so this is, it seems like an unusual move from Apple at one level, although they always have, you know, they've got music in their bones, right? Uh, but they released this thing kind of out of nowhere. It's like a, what they're calling it, like an app, uh, an inspiration capturing app for musicians. I was, I don't know if I was surprised to see it, but it's got its own like fancy website and explanation. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not a musician, so it doesn't affect me directly, but I'm sort of surprised that they came up with something that's so purpose suited. Does it surprise you uh, that they're doing something so directed at a segment of the audience like that? Um, not really, because I am also not a musician, but I'm friends with some people who are like pro musicians and this is what they do. And they all have iPhones and they all use them in this way. And everyone was pretty like, sometimes they'll ask me like, oh, you know, I use voice memos if I just want to jot something down and they know they can go into GarageBand and, you know, like, like, record something there but if you're just like oh i just got to get this down right now and you just open up voice memos and it's, it's ready to go so i know a lot of people were using voice memos for this even with ah. like an external microphone or something so this is kind of the bridge it's like a step up from voice memos but it's still not GarageBand. but then it's also very portable into garage band so music memos is like it, it opens up kind of like voice memos where it opens up ready to record and you can record something and it's tuned specifically for acoustic guitar or piano, but you can play anything. It'll work with the built-in mic or with an external mic. And then it has like, once you get that down, so that's basically just what voice memos did, only you know tuned specifically for music. But then it has this other thing. So if you are just you know a person on the piano and you wanna hear what it might sound like with bass and drums, you can put in virtual bass and drums. Oh my God. And they'll just react to what you're playing and you can kind of jam out. So like, that's what they do a lot. Like you don't think of a song just like you close your eyes and like you think of the, the 
final song. You know, you kind of you come up with a riff or a hook or some kind of idea, and then you just sort of iterate on it. So having something where they can record something, loop it, like you know, change it around, and th- that again is still lighter than GarageBand, but can kind of get you know take that germ of an idea and and get it going. I think is a really good idea. And then from there, you can send it to GarageBand, work on it some more. Um, They're also letting you upload to Apple Music Connect, which it's, I, I mean, I ha- I've sort of stopped paying attention to it. It was it was pretty dry for a while. And I know GarageBand lets you upload to Apple Music Connect too. So, I mean, if, if artists kind of embrace that and start, you know, sharing little demos and ideas um, with people that way, that's kind of a cool social thing. But but I think the 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 main point of it is just to to get these ideas down in a format that then you can take to GarageBand on your Mac or on your your iPhone or iPad and you know flush it out more to a, a huge song. But so I know musicians were were, were kind of needing this. It's a small group of people, but um, I mean I don't know how much. The, the, it looks like a really slick app. I know Serenity Caldwell was you know she likes to fool around on her ukulele. She's got a beautiful singing voice. And she's like, yep, I made a song. It took 10 minutes. Here it is. That's awesome. You know, you can share it. So that's really cool. And Apple is just, you know, they, they do really well with these these creative things that let you get, you know, what's inside out into the world. So well, I love it. I just wish they would do more like this. So or let me let me rephrase it. That sounded negative. Let me rephrase it the positive. I'm glad they're doing something <laughs> like this where it's it's a clever idea. It's bespoke built. It fits an audience and it's part of an ecosystem and it looks uh, it looks clever and fun and it's useful to people to enhance their creativity. And because you can bring it into GarageBand for iOS, for the Mac, or, you know, they know Logic Pro X, so they're 10, they're, you know, integrating across everything they do, then it works with SoundCloud, not just Apple Music Connect or mm-hmm. YouTube, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this all, this seems really like an incredible collaborative tool. What if iWorks? was like this, right? And and you think, okay, well maybe they can go back. You know, I the iwork.com and um and the other apps, uh I think actually pages has become pretty mature. Finally, they keep releasing major releases that are under dot releases. So, what are they up to now? 5.5 or something. Whatever. I I wrote a review uh for Roman uh, or Macworld uh, about I think it was pages five five or five six because so many things were added that it was practically a major update um, and so I want to see this kind of thing happen across their whole ecosystem so maybe this is a good move maybe may have something to do with Phil Schiller I don't know it's not really in his it realm it kind of reminds me of know. what they did recently with notes you know yeah, like notes yeah. was just like so bare bones it was just you know a notepad and you could type words onto it and that was it and but then they found out that like people are using it and they're using it for a lot more than that and sure they could all be using you know Evernote or OneNote or some of the more robust tools, but they're using notes because it's there, you know, so it, it's there, it was free and it's just good enough. So if they can take something that's good enough and make it, you know, better then all the better. Right. So they do like- slip stuff in. Like I, I'm a heavy, iWork user. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I've gone, I've mostly, I haven't opened up my laptop in two months and have gone completely iPad pro for wow. all my travel now. Great. And the, there's still like, quirks that are just really frustrating about it and then i'm saying they're giving a presentation using my apple watch as my clicker That's and so cool. oh my god the audience <laughs> was like what did you just do <laughs> and uh using the apple watch as the clicker and then i popped up and I, i'm like what's that button i clicked and i'm like i can annotate this slide live while people are watching the presentation <laughs> using the apple pen like okay i like that and it, it was great but 
then there's really frustrating things around file management and other things that that, that kind of ruin it, ruin the, that part of the experience. Yeah, I keep wanting, uh, I mean, maybe pages six, ostensibly, they still have a commitment to it. Maybe we'll have a new um, update with the next OS release. Perhaps this is the time where if they slow down on, on uh, OS ten and iOS, it sounds like they might be slowing down still. Like we're not going to have major, huge overhauls this fall or some, you know, kind of murmurs coming out about that. Maybe we'll finally see the software ecosystem, iTunes, iWork, and the rest of them, you know, come up to speed. So I like Music Memos. It's inspirational to me as a non-musician for what it could mean for the rest of what they do. I dig that. Uh, well, let's go on to privacy. Uh, Rich, we had you on to talk about um, traveling safely with computers, but hey, in the meantime, you published this great article. <laughs> <laughs> You're publishing stuff all over the place. Uh, and uh, I want to talk about this too, because like I said uh, at the outset, we talked about this a, a bit um, you know, over many months. Uh, Apple has what is increasingly, it's not an, I don't want to say an isolated stance, but it's increasingly uh, public uh, stance. I wrote a story for the Economist was it a year and it's like 15, 16 months ago about uh, this whole issue of like uh, of Apple saying, hey, you know, we can't in Google saying at the time too, we can't even give you the key, like we cannot unlock uh, our phones for you. And Apple saying iMessage is encrypted in a way that even we don't have access to people's private messages and and um, how you build end to end uh, protected systems. And that was already a while ago, and we're still seeing this battle. How do backdoors figure into this privacy issue? Because they keep coming up. Yeah, I mean, this was, first of all, this is really probably one of the harder pieces I've written in a while. And because there's so many overlapping issues, and you've covered this stuff as well, Glenn. And, you know, we've talked about this stuff. I mean, you and I have been talking about this stuff for probably a decade at this point. <laughs> yes. uh, the It's tough. And, and it kind of started noticing things back when I, I wrote an article for actually for Macworld about how why Apple actually cared about privacy and the business reasons behind it. Uh, and then they have continued to double down every time to this point where we have the phones. And so the situation we're in right now is there is a split between the, the desires of law enforcement and what people kind of perceive and think about using their devices. And then the overall kind of world of what our data means because I don't think anybody we, we fully you know kind of addressed or understood that as a, as a society and I don't fully blame law enforcement if you I've got a lot of friends in law enforcement I have an emergency services background I've done physical security as a paramedic and a firefighter you know I was in the thick of it in, in active shooter scenarios included uh, with uh, with law enforcement and uh, and and I think some of those may be the reason that that Glenn wants to hang out during the zombie apocalypse. You got but, it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, but it, they're good people. Okay, yeah. a lot of my friends are cops, and uh, I understand the the needs and the desires, which is they are used to when they need to collect evidence for something, having the ability to get that. Right. This is kind of the premise of that article because they've always had what's known as lawful access. If you can get now, there's different evidentiary standards, whether it's a subpoena or a warrant or or other kinds of information that they can gather. There used to be able to get anything. They can crack a safe open. They can read your mail, you know, with with the right boxes checked to follow due process. Everything should be balanced by the judiciary. And we know it doesn't always work out that way, but for the most part, the system does work. I'm not actually anti the system by any means of the imagination. The problem we've hit is a, a trend started back in the, it might have been back in the 70s or 80s, there was a law called Kalea, which was uh, the 
communications, I don't know, something law enforcement access Mm -hmm. act somewhere is all in there, where they required telecommunications manufacturers, the people that make phone hardware, to put in back doors to make it easier for law enforcement to do wiretaps. Because before, they had to do really hard stuff like you see in the movies. That's not how it works. Now, if they want to do it, they click a couple of buttons and they can be routed into the routed into the phone system. And yet, we see problems with that because you know the U.S. is the biggest consumer of these things. Those devices had those back doors. Those were shipped overseas to oppressive regimes, for example. Uh, they, it could be abused. It could have holes in the back doors. And so, there's precedent in the law enforcement world for these back doors. And before I go further, by the way, I want to state not all law enforcement people feel the same. I've got Plenty of my cop friends don't want any other back doors. So now here come phones, mm-hmm. where not only is it have your, all of your call records, it has your physical location, it has your Facebook posts, your Twitters, your data stored, your messages, anything that's encrypted on the wire, everything else is on this little computer that we keep in our pockets. Uh, and some in law enforcement think that they should have access to that. And they want a back door to do that, which is ridiculous because there's no way to have a backdoor that's not a security vulnerability, and they're trying to come up with these schemes and mechanisms to do that. And Apple said, no, we built this really secure device. If we put that backdoor in, we know it's going to be abused domestically. Bad guys are going to go after it. Uh, there's, I like to say there's no golden key. Right. There's only skeleton keys. And it will be used to destroy private communications and democracy and profess in, in regimes throughout the rest of the well, world. This is the thing that gets me is, is I feel like it's uh, some of it is naivete and, and incompetence and lack of knowledge by some people, prominent people, including like the head of the FBI, who I think I want to believe that he is less informed than he should be and has developed a worldview that keeps information out because what he says is often factually incorrect about yep. encryption. But beside, beyond that, there's one more level, which is the disingenuousness is whenever you hear American or any alleged democracy, that sounds so negative, but you know what I mean? Like any, like we can say America is still democracy. Let's just pretend it is, uh, even with our current legal structure and, um, any alleged democracy, any country that's not openly totalitarian, you know, fiat control dictatorship. Um, we're pretending that those tools are only used for our benefit, right? So when they say, we need to put a back door in so that uh, government agents can gain access in case there's a you know, nuclear bomb about to go off or whatever. It's like, yes, but you are government. These companies do business in 200 plus countries. Every country gets that back door, whether it's a t- they, there's no you can't keep China. Maybe you keep, um, you know, Iran is off the uh, terrorist list, right? Didn't they get are they technically off it now? I think the official terrorism list uh, I don't know. The anyway, that's that happened. Well, I'm just yeah. saying, but I mean, like, so North Korea. Uh, you know, was is still on there. We know that, right? So there's still a rogue nation. <laughs> but like every other country just about in the world, uh, there's no way to say uh, you can't export, you know, this backdoor is only for U.S. use because once you put a backdoor in, everyone can get it. So every government in the world gets access to any backdoor under the legal system. However, we don't believe it's a legitimate legal system in their country. Well, and there's a lot of different precedents that aren't widely known publicly. And those were a bunch of things I tried to put into the article. Uh, BlackBerry was in these crosshairs back in 2009, 2010 in India, and they were forced to crack open the system uh, for the Indian government and and they caved. Now they're fighting the battle where Blackberries are still used. Um, I don't want to get into that discussion. (laughs) (laughs) So where where Blackberries are still used, but they had a very secure messaging system. Now, first of all, it makes me think that probably they had that here in the U.S., uh, and uh, even though it's a Canadian company, though, so who knows for sure, uh, that other countries are demanding that level of access. 
and now they're in a position where, well, we can do it, but now we get to pick and choose which company, you know, which countries right, right. where that gets enforced. The other side is all the web services we use. And I don't think people realize that government has access to every single one of those. Unless that data is end-to-end encrypted, fully in the control of your own keys. Uh, and this includes Apple's, some of Apple's services. Where um, The way I like to describe it is if you can look at something in a web browser, so can the government. Or right. anybody, or, and so can the company that you're getting it from. Because they have to unlock that stuff to show it in the web browser. So it's in that computer's memory at some point in time. So Facebook, Twitter, Google, all of this have been freaking gold mines for <laughs> intelligence agencies, for law enforcement. And you guys see it on TV. It, it, you know, okay, it may not be all the, the fake stuff in CSI cyber, but you know, they, they really do look at your search history. They really do look at track your physical location by going to your phone provider because that all that data is kept everywhere you carry your phone so that we can physically track it all. I mean that that's real and that's used in court cases and criminal proceedings on a regular basis. And this is one of the issues that has come up against like the Google Apple split is because Google stores a lot of information for syncing in the cloud. Not that its endpoint devices are dumb, but it has smart endpoint devices like Android phones. But because it's in the cloud, it means and it's syncing, it has access to it. It's not you know if you can put a layer of encryption on some things on files you store in Google Drive, uh, you can encrypt files and store them there. But all of your basic information, your calendar and contact, email, everything else is available to anyone who uh, Google you know presents Google with a, a legitimate warrant. Well, and that's true for Apple as well, for, for, for calendar for iCloud, yeah. and email, for those iCloud things. But the, the uh, iMessage is secure end-to-end, FaceTime secure end-to-end, iCloud keychain is very secure. And you can uh, choose not a, to sync, though. You can have everything integral yep. on your iPhone. And uh, actually, I'm not – I don't – I'm trying to remember if you can do that with Google. If you can choose – you must be able to do it. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's set up that way where um, – where you're uh, not syncing your data. So you've got calendars no, and contact that's, local. that's how they have their money. I mean, that's yeah. the, the way those devices are built. And it's just the business model pieces, which we, you know, was in that first article I wrote for um, uh, for Macworld, you know, back in, I don't know, was it a few, 2014, I think. And, uh, and it's the same, you know, today that by business model, they need that data. And that is one reason I think they're not taking quite as strong a public stance. So they actually are trying to improve security on the phone. Uh, and they were one of the first that came out that they want to do default encryption. It's just they mm-hmm. have a lot of issues because of the hardware partners. Uh, Google is actually very secure. I know a lot of people on the security team there. Uh, I don't like the privacy stance of the company, but from security, they have some of the best teams in the business, and they do a great job, and they even try and block government listening. I mean, they were pissed when that PRISM slide came out. They were personally offended. Uh, was this the data like, center to data center tapping? Yeah, data center to data center task. Because Google's like, look, if you have the right warrants and everything else, we're gonna we have they may fight it, by the way. Yeah. But they will provide it in the end. And I think that's the other thing around law enforcement is they don't want to have to go through those legal fights every time. They want to have more faster access, easier access. They want their back door. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I think that while that precedent has been set in some ways, if you think about us as society, and that was kind of the the culmination of the article. This is where we have to decide. This is where we say, hey, we're going to give the government access to all of our stuff if they want it. And again, I don't think it's abused on a on a wide basis by any means of the imagination. But I think it's my right to have secure stuff. Right. It's and, it's it's the same tool. It's like there's it's not like there are separate uh, the Swiss Army knife. It's like it's one big knife that cuts open everything and one back door can be abused just as easily by criminals, by governments of other countries, um, 
then corporate espionage. There's a heat, which is crime, but a different kind of crime. Uh, yeah. Harassers, griefers, trolls. Like the internet is a very scary place. The world is a very scary place, and it is not paranoid to expect that any weakness in any encryption algorithm will be exploited by any party capable of doing it. Not against you necessarily individually, unless you're a high-profile target, high-value target, but against you generically as an individual who's using a particular brand of software or hardware. Anything that has a backdoor gets exploited. Yep, and this is why the NSA came out in support of encryption. I saw that. Isn't that great? <laughs> you know, the, FBI the FBI saying, is, no, you know, no, backdoors everywhere. And I say, whoa, okay, wait hold on a second. Slow down. So, uh, look, I don't know how this is going to fly. I do think the public needs to pay attention. And, uh, you know, obviously we security experts can talk about this stuff all we want. Uh, if you read that that piece, it was I wrote it over a tidbits. It talks about why Apple is very public and vocal on this, and there's a lot of reasons why. It's not just the personal stances. I think this matters to Tim Cook and other people in Apple, uh, and some of that's from the, you know various people I've talked to over the years that from the inside. But um, I never fully trust that because you know Apple's very good at manipulating those things, as we all know, living in that universe. But uh, I do think that I do get the get the feeling that that they kind of care. It aligns with the business needs or desires of the company, but also there's other reasons that they're in those crosshairs, you know, because of the popularity of the device, because of the nature of Apple's business, that other companies aren't in a position to provide such a vocal defense. I'd say Microsoft would probably be next in line, and even then it's a little bit tougher for them, uh, you know, but but Google's not in as good position. Facebook and Twitter are totally out of position. Uh, Amazon's in no position to do this, and, and they're actually quite good on their infrastructure side with the, the yeah. stuff with Amazon Web Services. Uh, so if you look at the nature of the businesses and what they do, the people behind those businesses and their kind of needs and goals, and you kind of map that to this battle, Apple's really the ones in the crosshairs. Well, you know, there's and there's two interesting related things happening at the same time, I'd say, too. One is uh, um, that the EU, <clears throat> excuse me, the European Union, uh, they're in the middle of this whole issue. It's February 1st is the deadline, in fact in which they're demanding a change in which uh, information is moved in and out of the EU about EU citizens. And uh, they can impose sanctions. It could be this huge... I mean, who knows what's going to happen? But if uh, the companies don't come to an agreement, and apparently it's not that close right now, um, this has to do with their extremely strong privacy protections. I mean, for crying out loud, the city of Hamburg, Germany, has its own Datashoots, you know, data protection officer, who is the person who, by the way, blew open the whole Google Maps uh, war driving... Um, you know, capturing data from Wi-Fi situation, which went on for years because Google didn't want to face up to what it had done, even though it was passive and so forth. Uh, so, you know, you have down to the level of individual cities having privacy officers, you know, about your own privacy. It's wonderful. But at the same time, they want to enforce things like the right to be forgotten, which is a European right now or European Union right. They are talking about that might be something they want to enforce against companies worldwide. So every version of Google, not just Google.fr, would forget this data, which is a, a bad precedent as well. So you're seeing a – but that's like a different front, right? And then you have AT&T as a company defending the notion that, uh, that Apple has no right – to make any decisions on behalf of itself or its customers about this subject at all, that Apple should back off, despite the fact that AT&T has done all kinds of stuff that's been documented. It makes a lot of money from working with uh, government agencies to build, uh, you know, these various tools that allow them to capture data. So, um, yeah, with, with to, you know, without, I can't talk about sources and stuff. So, I mean, I work in the security industry on a regular right. basis. <laughs> uh, when the post 9-11 monitoring warrantless program came into play, AT&T rolled over and Verizon fought it. 
Right. Is what I've heard. And you remember the weird situation, speaking of CenturyLink earlier, there was a whole thing with uh, Joe Nasio, who was the head of, uh, was it Quest at the time? Yep. Where when he was, there was a civil trial, I can't even remember all the details. What's the funny thing is he claimed that he had wronged, he had denied uh, the government something, and that's why he was being prosecuted. Or There was a very yep. funny little situation there, which I think turned out not to be the case, or there was no reliable evidence. But it was one of those weird little side things. You're like, wait a minute, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but... Wait, what happened here after all? Yep, and the and the thing to keep in mind is European countries monitor just as much as the NSA does. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all about they just don't want anybody else monitoring their people. Exactly. Uh, I mean, the Germany's got not not a great track record, uh, even in modern day, for uh, for their monitoring. Uh, UK in particular. So yeah, you know, strong difference between government monitoring and corporate use of information too. Yep. And there, that's the private the privacy issue. The privacy officers, I don't think, actually do that much protection against government use of your data because that's governed by a different aspect. Yep. But it's all you know, corporate use of your data. Yeah, exactly. And I cover monitoring technologies used by businesses to for legitimate security reasons. Right. And it's very interesting, you know, trying to figure out how to get those deployed in those countries and uh, the uh, data loss prevention tools and those those sorts of things. So, I mean, th this whole thing, is it's coming to a head. The question is, and I don't think, by the way, there's going to be one battle and one victory. Uh, and that's kind of the the way I even ended that piece was this is it's going to take diligence and it's we as a society need to start figuring out what we're going to normalize and it's hard because a lot of people are like protect me from the terrorist when none of this would have stopped any terrorist attack yes. or assisted in any single terrorist investigation uh, <laughs> at least it's been public and maybe if there are well, some. It, do you, you remember know, the they, thing that came with Paris? That the initial wave was they used all this encrypted whatever, and the second don't. wave was nah, they were doing open not text, so much. yeah, not text yep. messaging, and and that, that's the thing. This is the thing. I look at ex officials. You'll find like ex NSA, ex CIA, often ex FBI uh, heads or top, uh, you know, uh, research not researchers but uh, 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 officers and so forth, and they talk about it because they're no longer in the position. They don't try to undermine their colleagues, and they could even be the same administration. Same political party, right? This isn't a political issue. And they'll say, look, what we really need is better intelligence. We don't need more tools to break into crypto. We need more tools, more people, better analysis of the information we get because we're not doing a good job analyzing all the, all the stuff that we gather that's you know that's the real issue and all this other stuff this could help in some circumstances in some places maybe it would be great to have it but that wouldn't be the key it hasn't been the key in the past it's ignoring the stuff that's you know not sub rosa beneath the surface but super rosa or super rosa it's above and it's there you know and we're just not capturing that so that's you know it's a little bit of a thing it's like no look over here encryption's a problem not our incompetence at managing information and uh building uh, modern systems at the fbi instead of wasting hundreds of millions of dollars and so forth or billions yeah and, it, and it's frustrating because they go for the emotional gut so the, the first is the terrorist angle the other is, is protect the children and that was in the the this is like the third article protect i've written children, on this right? yeah, yeah yeah and the you know the other one for the protecting the children look i so i legitimately have had to tell parents their kids are dead I have legitimately had yeah. to search for children who got like lost in the mountains and ended up dead. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I didn't have to tell the parents that time where being able to track a phone or something probably could have helped or maybe could have helped. You know, I've been in those situations and that's the ones that they bring up. What if your kid was kidnapped and getting that phone was the only way to do it? I'm like, you know what? It's horrible, but it almost never happens. And there's other ways to get most of that information. And do we want to give away all of our fundamental civil rights for essentially I call this mind reading. Somebody gets your phone, it's like reading your mind. Far more than, than anything else we have, or if they get you know full control over your computer, 
but mostly just the phone these days. And so are we going to give the government the power to read our minds for something that might happen once every 10 years? Well, I think about it. It's like sitting on a toilet seat in a public restroom, right? Is the back door is ex- <laughs> the back door is exactly that? Is is you may think it was clean between visits, but everybody can sit on that seat. Everybody knows what's yeah. going on. Uh, you know, I was even thinking um, uh, the the issue isn't even necessary. Let's say we a hundred percent trust the American government to do everything right right now. You know, I always say this about signing a contract. Whatever contract you sign, if it's got a you know this is survives uh, if the business is sold kind of thing, you're signing a contract with the jerk who owns the business in three years, not the nice person sitting in front of you, because that contract will be enforced by subsequent people. A backdoor, once it's put in, if that encryption is in place, it's whatever subsequent government, you know, even if we love this one and think it's perfect, the next government or the one after that next administration could be worse. Um, and I think there's that it's the issue of like, when you look at issues that unite the left and the right, you know, we have this huge political divide and there's all not to get into the political side as much, but there's one thing that liberals and conservatives often will join hands on is the idea about government overreach. And despite an orientation about what the role of government is, you'd say, all right, left and right often, especially what's great you see in the in, uh, Congress right now in the House of Representatives, you will see left and right shake hands about, okay, we are not going to let that thing, <laughs> that, that new, uh, you know, we're not going to reauthorize that bill. We're not going to do whatever. And, you know, the administration often, whether it's Republican or Democrat, often overrides that in various ways or goes around it. Um, but it's an issue we can unite on that we're not trying to deny, uh, I don't want law enforcement to not have tools. I want law enforcement to have the right tools that don't provide overreaching uh, support to um, to get every aspect of our lives. So, hey, well, this is a good segue, actually, into the uh, the other story, the other thing we're going to talk about, which is not uh, contemporary exactly, but uh, is this issue we're talking about, you know, how governments use data. So, Rich, you've traveled, you're a security researcher, you're on people's radars, you've been involved with some uh, major uh, uh, things that have uh, come out, uh, flaws with fundamental internet systems like DNS and so forth. Uh, so when you travel, I expect people, there might be some interest in uh, national security agencies. <laughs> they would probably, you know, not like, like, oh my God, high profile target, rich mogul walking, but more like on if there are lists and lists and lists at different tiers, you're probably on some list that you're watched. Yeah, so I'm on, you know, I think I'm very low on that list of targets, which puts me higher than, you know, average people, right. but lower than the the researchers who get the O'Day exploits or the executives of, you know, large enterprises. Um, but yeah, I, I travel a lot. I travel in circles with those people because they're, you know, in some cases, my friends, both the executives and the hackers. And I travel internationally. Um, so you know, first of all, domestically, I just do whatever I want. I'm I'm not too worried about it. If they want to get me domestically. There's a zillion ways they can get me domestically. I'm an American citizen. I, you know, and people might joke about it, but that actually, there are limits. Uh, you know, the the NSA and other are not going after me without you know proper due process. Believe it or not, they do actually follow that. <laughs> they just the some people have manipulated what that due process needs to be at times. Right. Uh, it's the international. And so I kind of break it up depending a little bit on where I'm going and what I'm doing. And there's the normal like travel to Europe. I don't worry too much about that. Uh, and a, a variety of what I will I'll call the friendly nations. And I don't really take any special precautions other than my systems are normally pretty secure and the you know I'd have to be more heavily targeted. The where I do care more is like China and Russia for example, and I've been to both, uh, some places in Latin America for different reasons, uh, depending on which city I'm going to, there just might be higher crime rates. 
that uh, that I'd be worried about less by being mm-hmm. you know targeted for what I know. And so I think in the past few years I've been to it's been a while. It was about six, almost seven years ago. I was I went to Moscow. Uh, I've been to China I think three times in that time period, two or three times, and then uh, I, previously when I was with Gartner I was there, but I didn't do any special precautions because I was just a Gartner analyst, and there's nothing important we have. And then <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, you're very funny. Okay, yeah, <laughs> dry humor there, but I get it. Uh, so wait, yeah, you mean I, the forecast of the next PC shipment growth is not well? Actually, yeah. for some people, it probably is. But. Yeah, and that didn't work in that part of the company uh, anyway. All I did was make stuff up. Um, <laughs> so the I mean, I can go through the precautions. So here's what I advise people, because I do get asked this question sometimes by my clients who are, you know, companies and stuff. One is know what the risk profile is based on, you know, what information do you have? Where are you going? And and would they care? And for the most part, there's very few places where I care too much about that. Uh, I was at, in the UAE uh, a couple of years ago, you know, just I'm not, I was not overly worried, you know, even though I'd be worried about other aspects of of being in the, that country, you know, them deciding to rip my stuff apart. Although you actually, there is stuff you need, you like make sure you don't have any porn right. on your computer. If you go to UAE or you're, you're going to, they, they, you are warned ahead of time about those things. Uh, and then Russia, I'm not going to anymore because just of the geopolitical situation. And because I don't have any clients there anyway. Uh, I do have some companies I've worked with out of, out of, uh, Russia and the Ukraine and others. Uh, it's just right now things are a little hot, and I try to avoid those places if I don't really have a compelling business need. Uh, China is the is the big one, and I know for a fact because of companies that have detected breaches and attacks on executives that they they have a long history of targeting devices that go over there. Well, and they have an issue with it's not just uh, of like observing foreign nationals or even their own citizens who may be engaged in political or other activity. Uh, China has a long history of corporate espionage and state-controlled, state-led corporate espionage that's used for the benefit of Chinese companies. And I can state that openly because there's so much documentation, like the specifics yeah. we'd have to, you know, you have to go through case by case, but there's a constant dispute. The Obama administration, I think is currently has a, has some issues underway with China about that companies know that they shouldn't take certain IP to China to manufacture there or to even ship it to employees there and so forth. So that's a separate issue from like the state monitoring you as an individual for what you're doing too. Yeah. And that's, it's as much a, it's really that combination. So like I went over there to speak at a security conference and uh, you know, a bunch of us who were going were like, Hey, what, you know, what's, what's the rules (laughs) coming down from the corporate pipeline? Uh, and I can go into detail about what I did uh, for that particular trip, which I will in a minute um, before we run out of time here. But the, you know, for example, you know, executives at companies uh, are, I mean, the advice is you you only bring burner devices. It has no sensitive information. Those devices infrequently, not infrequently are destroyed or donated when they come back. So let them spy on some school kids instead of somebody else in the business. So your, your uh, burner device, do you want to have a full disk encryption on that so that, Oh yeah. So then you we lock everything down. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some cases you, you solder ports closed for USB. And oh my goodness. USB is not as bad, but uh, anything firewire or Thunderbolt, uh, they can get direct memory access off of that. Right. You make sure your device is shut down. If you have a laptop as you cross the border because of then encryption keys aren't in memory. And so they can't do cold boot attacks. Uh, all of which we know is, has kind of happened. Mm-hmm. And wow, y- well, some of that's don't... happened to uh, was it Jacob? Uh, uh, Io error on Twitter, and I'm forgetting his last name. Jake Applebaum. Yeah, yeah, Jake Applebaum. I mean, he's an American citizen, and he uh, I haven't followed it lately, but because he was involved with um, 
uh, WikiLeaks at one point. He's involved with the Tor project. Uh, every time he crossed the American border in and out, he was basically detained, sometimes by, I think, mm-hmm. by foreign uh, governments, sometimes by the U.S., in very mild detainment. I mean, he usually had his phone. He's tweeting what's going on and I remember seeing pictures, but like he just everything he took with him was being examined every time he went in and out of the country. And and that's an American citizen doing that. And yeah. and also they have the issue of like there's the issue right now is they can compel if you come back to America, my understanding is at the border there's a different set of law that accrues there and they can compel you to enter a password at the border for, as part of customs and um and reintegration to they America can? as yeah, mm-hmm. I think, is I right, Rich? I thought this has come up in some court cases is they can't compel you in American soil. Like then you get uh, fifth amendment protections and other protections play in the judge might order it in very certain circumstances. But at the border, I believe even if you're an American citizen returning, I believe they can require you enter a password so they can see what's on a machine. Yeah. There's some interesting, I think I thought that one was fought and is being like it's that's, probably in the middle, but I think they're, they're yeah. the, I think the government has asserted the right to do that. Let's say that. Wow. Yeah, they have. They have definitely tried because you don't have the same rights, which, which astounded me. And by the way, border crossing can be not just at the border, but you know, there's border crossings in the U.S. within 100 miles or 200 miles of a border. So, uh, like we drive not infrequently out to. So I live in Phoenix these days. I'm from Colorado before this, but and we drive not infrequently out to California to. Well, before kids to go have fun in San Diego and now to go to Legoland and Disney. <laughs> and there's there's actual border crossings in the middle of the highway fully on U.S. soil. Right. Uh, that they used to. So it's uh, very interesting and, and your stuff is exposed, uh, particularly when you cross any boundaries. And so the question is, is it going to be overt or covert? What Jake had, what happened to him was very overt. He knew when his things were being imaged and taken away. Right. Uh, that so was partly things- intimidation too. That was partly a tactic on oh, their yeah. part because they knew that he wasn't bringing stuff. I mean, they were trying to inconvenience him and, and deter and chill his his behavior. Yeah, because he's. They, I mean, they knew at a certain point he would never cross with any sensitive stuff. Yeah. Uh, the thing in in something in China it could be a lost bag. Uh, we know. Uh, we believe. I don't have the direct evidence, but it's believed that hotel rooms have been accessed at, at particular hotels and. Uh, and again, a lot of this and the people targeted, it's not just the highest level execs. It could be engineers, anybody with a corporate interest, uh, lawyers. So one of the big things that China has done is they hack law firms who are working on deals with uh, U.S. companies and Chinese companies through government to provide the Chinese negotiating strength uh, that that there's just no question that's happened. The healthcare records. So you have all of that stuff happening. And then you have someone like me who, you know, I, I put myself low to middling, but I'm definitely on, potentially on that list. Uh, all my data was lost in the OPM breach because I'm a federal disaster responder. And so they have all of my personal information to the point now where they could correlate those things across. Uh, and for a while, till things cool down, I'm probably not going to travel to China again. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had the need to. Uh, you know, I'm not seeking work over there for the kinds of things that I do, but it's you know, I mean, I've been over maybe a half dozen times over the past 15 years. The, And then there are things you can do to protect yourself. So one is, first of all, burner devices are great. And if you can't get a burner device like an old iPhone or something else, take your existing phone, back it up, make sure you have a really good backup, then wipe it and go in clean. Uh, get a SIM card that you're never going to use again. You don't want to use your same SIM card either. One of the, you know, one of the guys I traveled with, his corporate IT department, and they were a very high target, ordered him to remove the SIM card when he got back, crack it, and throw it into two different trash cans. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a little bit of overkill. Um, right, and, and I would, I'll just insert, this is not um, 
everything you're saying is, I think to people who may be casual travelers or don't follow the security stuff closely, this may sound like Three Days of the Condor sort of stuff, you know, or um, or some of the deep conspiracy movie things. And I'm like, no, no, there's like, I can pull up 10 stories about SIM infection software and vectors. And like, what was the story? Uh, was it two or three years ago that an outfit that makes SIMs discovered that there was actually uh, stuff being inserted into the SIMs somewhere in their production system before they were being shipped out to be put into phones. Uh, you know, so there's, there is, these are not, uh, impractical, like, oh my God, they should crack that. It's like, no, these actually, this is stuff that's documented and happened. You're talking about it all in one place. So I think it may sound more overwhelming, but there's, um, none of this is, uh, very little of this is, is, uh, not documented publicly, uh, as security breaches. Yeah. And you just don't hear about this stuff and you don't think about it. Uh, but you know, it's, it, it's what happens, uh, laptops, uh, again, bring a clean system over. That's a little bit harder. Uh, I no longer travel with laptops over there, uh, and I'll go into that. Uh, the last I, I did one on one recent trip, but that was like an almost under the radar trip. I was working for a corporate client. Uh, I had to do some training for them. Uh, I was really careful about my physical possession of it. I never left it alone in my hotel room, even when I was working out. Uh, and I was very careful on the networks that I connected it to. I never used it in my hotel room, for example. I only connected it to that that corporate network, which is a big, you know, multinational. I've heard uh, people uh, have recommended Chromebooks for this. Sometimes is that something you would recommend because of both the the cost and sort of the uh, the low um, the low amount of data value that's actually stored on the device. Yeah, Chromebooks can be good, uh, particularly if you want to toss it. Uh, I've used iPads where I wipe it before I go. I load it up with, because I like my movies and my books and everything on the trip, and I do need some network access. So I'll load it up with a, I use a throwaway VPN, not one of my regular ones. Uh, I load it, I take out the SIM card, so I'm not using, you know, 3G stuff. I'll load it up with my movies and everything else. And what I do is I create a new user account on my Mac. And so I sync all that, all my my stuff over onto that new user account. Right. So you're not using uh, iTunes, to, but you still have to use iTunes to authenticate at some point to play the movies, right? Or is this all non-iTunes content? No, all all non-iTunes oh, content. So there's no network loop part of it at all. You're entirely you're syncing via a fresh OS 10 account. Mm-hmm. You don't have to authenticate any of the content you're playing back. Exactly. I'll, oh, I'll okay. take Blu-rays and stuff across, and you know, I'll go, you know, go hit a red box and rip a Blu-ray, and then I just delete it when I'm done. Okay, I, I just <gasps> admitted. My God, I violate the law, but I only watch what? it once, so I, I consider that morally or ethically aligned, if not, uh, you know, letter of the law aligned. <laughs> What's the benefit to switching VPNs? You mentioned that you'd use a different VPN. Yeah, because I don't want them being able to attack my VPN. Oh, you just don't want them knowing which VPN you use. Yeah, or being able to potentially pull keys. Oh wow. Okay. So I just set up, a, and it's really easy these days, particularly with Amazon Web Services, just to set up a, a throwaway VPN. Mm-hmm. Yeah, VPNs are, are constantly under attack, especially at the national security level. We've seen a lot of attacks come out or descriptions of them in the PRISM documents, other Snowden dumps, uh, WikiLeaks, everything else. Because I figured as long as I had one, like I was okay. But should I be like, should regular people be like changing VPNs a couple times a year? Or? No, no, no. It's totally a China thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> totally trying. And they will scan the network. They'll keep track of your VPN. It may not even work anyway. Some of that stuff's blocked. Uh, wow. Most of the corporate ones are safe. Uh, and, you know, basically that becomes almost a throwaway device. I used a temporary Skype account to phone home and uh, and talk to my wife over Wi-Fi. 
And oh, right. you can iOS prepay on really... Skype with credit, so you don't have to actually. There's no account information associated with the Skype thing, too, right? So you're not. Uh... Oh, well, you can use Skype for you use the free version. I'm thinking about even uh, phone calls. Yeah. You can deposit credits without having to uh, leave a credit card on file as well. Yeah, so they they would know what my Skype account is. Yeah. There, there's a few places where there were there were loopholes. I set up in one of those trips where I was very worried about stuff. I set up a temporary email server and would forward some things through. Instead of uh, accessing my real yeah. email servers. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because there's enough different things. You know, there's uh, cameras, caching keystrokes, there's keyloggers. There's. Yep. I, I feel like I'm like the biggest Keanu Reeves like impersonator when I'm like, there's all these things that can get you, man. But it's all, but you know, these have all happened. So it's not even yep. unlikely. But so uh, I was thinking about that. So if you set up a, uh, a email account somewhere else with forwarding uh, and then disable it when you're done, then people, uh, the there's no uh, way for uh, that information to be used ostensibly to then gain access to your main email account well, somewhere else. I mean, there's still holes if they mm-hmm. read those emails. Again, I use an encrypted service that I know is pretty secure. And like, I actually use Google for that because Gmail, Google has dealt with China attacks and nation state attacks for a while. Uh, so they do try and keep Google, keep Google Mail, you know, secure from those attacks. I access it only over a VPN, um, ideally through a web browser instead of the native mail client. So all of these things kind of really to reduce and make it hard to the point of where it's all about increasing their cost. And if I never physically lose control of my device, they can't put anything necessarily on the device. Uh, they could potentially get me through the Wi-Fi network, but that would take an O-day. Uh, that particular trip, I actually had a beta version of iOS. Uh, it was one of the, the bigger you know, releases. So uh, it makes it that much harder for the malware, malware to work. Uh, I'm sure they have O-days for iOS and, and such. The question is, is at what point is it worth it for them to go after me? Mm-hmm. Particularly because I don't really have anything of large value to them, but I still, you know, did my best to avoid those risks. Uh, I even had a friend who uh, was very deep, um, who works at, at one of these, uh, shall we say, large companies that makes products we're talking about. I, I was describing this to this person after the trip. They were like, are you kidding me? Like, I know people with O-days, like, that could take down anything that don't take those precautions. Like, well, I do. I mean, it's just, you know, again, but I think throwaway devices, throwaway accounts, are prudent for these sorts of trips and such. Well, and there's times, you know, I'll say, we talked about this before, but, uh, you know, you're a higher target than the average person, partly because because you've been involved with things like helping to do responsible disclosure of some massive security flaws that affect everyone on the internet. That was something you were involved with a few years ago. So conceivably, if the timing were right, you might have some information that would actually be critical either to criminals or to foreign governments that want to employ them uh, to use, like the, you know, the uh, centrifuge uh, exploit... Uh, uh, what was that? Not Flax. I can't remember his name even now. Fluxnet? Not Fluxnet. The, uh, oh, in Iran, where we, where ostensibly it was Israel and America, we used, uh, uh, broke the centrifuges using a uh, Windows. Uh, oh, yeah, Stuxnet. Stuxnet, thank you. So, I mean, these things are legitimate. And sometimes people, uh, 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 sometimes people forget that these tools, uh, you know, exist. There are, there are ways around this. But, um, uh, well, let's let's finish up though because I know that you've uh, we've been talking about this for a while, and we don't want to freak people out too much. We want to freak them out just enough. But uh, so, final <laughs> advice for people who are, I'm pretty freaked out. So, you guys. I know. Well, for people, so people who aren't. So, I, you know, when was the last time you were in China, Susie? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Rich, Rich is taking another level. But this is why it came up because Leah's sister, Leah Yamshan, our uh, associate managing editor at. Uh, at the Macworld, uh, her sister's going off to Beijing, and I said, "Oh, you know, you should make, make sure she's aware of of some of this because she's average person, not working in security." Uh, and I think um, 
we've had so many warnings. We've seen so many things about Chinese hackers specifically, but also Russia, Moldova, Ukraine. Like there's people all around the world and a lot of countries, not the U.S., plus hackers in the U.S. as well. And uh, it, we're so much more susceptible. So any, any final advice for people who are uh, – I mean these are – some of the things you're describing are extreme. Some are simple. Wiping an iOS device and installing stuff clean is not complicated for most people. But anything that you'd say for the average person, a precaution to take if they're traveling to places where we're, you know, where you're not maybe a hostile relationship financially with uh, companies, if not or countries, if not uh, politically. Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, if you are worried about it, and some of this might just be you're worried about internet kiosk or having your device stolen someplace. You know, again, it, it's not a big deal if you're on a vacation or something. Use temporary accounts, access most things through a VPN and a web browser. If you don't want to set up a temporary VPN, there's plenty of services, Cloak or whatever else, and make sure they're going to work where you're, you know, in the countries that you're going into. Uh, you know, use temporary SIM cards, which you're going to want to use anyway, because it's just cheaper to buy a SIM card in the in those countries. Uh, FaceTime and iMessage are well encrypted end to end. I would use that instead of Skype these days, uh, and. Uh, for for a bunch of reasons, but so <laughs> talked about those yeah. before. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, and I think I think that you know puts you in a really good you know kind of safe position if you if you are worried. Uh, bring a Chromebook if you want to. Uh, iPads are great. Uh, and when I get back, I just you know I wipe that temporary user account. I wipe the device and then I resync every, all my regular stuff over. Uh, heck, I don't travel with a laptop anymore. I said I probably need to. I, I know I need to write an article about that here soon. I've been iPad only doing major enterprise stuff now for three months, and it, it works oh. totally fine. Oh, that's amazing. We'll have to. Well, we should convene an iPad Pro panel uh, in some weeks from now and uh, and talk about that because that's. I think we've. I've heard that from a lot of people that they're abandoning the laptop, especially for travel. Um, Mind blowing! It works so much better than oh, I expected. Man. I have like I still haven't had my hands on one. And you can leave it in the bag. You can leave it in the bag. <laughs> yeah, I got TSA pre-approved last year. I'm sure you have everything, oh, Rich. Oh man, fast and, internet yeah. and fast security. I know lines. it's crazy. The whole family traveled oh. to LA, and they're just like, ah, go on through. Is what it felt like in comparison. Like, do we need to take anything out? Take it. Let's just go. You're fine. Go oh, on. Your shoes are on. Shoes, your jacket's metal on. detector, beautiful. not a porno scanner, and the rest. Well, Rich, I want to thank you for giving us insight and hopefully not too much paranoia, but people can ask questions thank you Rich. thank you for being very on. informative uh, yeah no worries anytime you want me to scare people i'm, I'm happy to, <laughs> to do so just give me a call and uh yeah you can, well, you you can find rich on uh on the twitter at r mogul you can find uh, his article about uh, apple's defensive privacy at tidbits.com you can find his writing for macworld about security uh at macworld.com of course and he is at it's securosis s-e-c-u-r-o-s-i-s this will be in the show notes show notes and uh thanks rich for being our guest Thanks, guys, and uh, have a great day. Thank you. And thank you. Uh, this has been – well, thank you, Susie. I'm sorry. I should thank you before we go to thanks for – thank you for enduring <laughs> all the paranoia. Are you terrified now? A little bit. All right. Well, <laughs> it'll all – I no longer want to go to China. Now I just want to go to Canada. I really want to go to China. I want to go to Shenzhen and look at how things work there. And uh, now I know what to do when I go, I think. I, I have new ideas. Uh, so this has been – I've been Glad Fleischman, a senior contributor – at Macworld, and this has been the Macworld Podcast, episode 492 for January 27th, 2016. You can find us at macworld.com, as always, where you can leave comments about this podcast on the post for it, or email us at podcast at macworld.com, or find us on Twitter at Macworld. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>